Grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. They shall not grow old as we are left to grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. You may have heard that last weekend. We hear the first few words of that poem, and we don't really need to hear that much more because it causes these, the rest of the words to tumble out from deep memory. And with those words comes this flood of associations. You know, that's what being Australian is all about, lest we forget. And there are some texts, as an American I can say, there are some texts that are almost like poems. These first few words come out. When in the course of human events, four score and seven years ago, or the famous words from the Statue of Liberty, give us your tired, your poor, your huddled, huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. And it's almost like we don't have to continue because, ah, great, we have that trigger going, out comes everything, and the flood of associations speak for themselves. And I'd have to say the Bible has its own examples. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Or we have the New Testament equivalent. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And I'd add a third poem. Today's gospel lesson, the opening lines of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek and the merciful and the pure of heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. So many associations these words bring up. It's like that part of the movie when the music swells and the sun gets a little bit brighter and everything gets a little bit clearer and there are the beaming faces of our protagonists. These are all triggers and we respond to it. We respond with this outflow of emotion. But sometimes in the movie, in the movies, that pulling that emotional trigger is a form of lazy script writing. The writers are letting the viewer do the work. You know, go to it. Let your associations fill in the blanks that I'm not going to take the time or the bother to write down. And sometimes when we read the scriptures, we are the lazy ones. We're lazy readers. And laziness is not what we need to do when we read the scriptures, especially now. Consider the calendar. This is, the, this is epiphany. This is the season of discovery, of sudden and arresting new insights. To have those epiphanies, we have to do more than simply sit back and say, oh yeah, I know this verse. Hmm, yeah, I have a bunch of associations. That's fine. I guess we don't really have to spend much time on the details, because I got it. I'm sorry, 
when we think we've got it, when we've let our memory, our impressions, our, our first impressions, obscure the text, then we're being lazy. We're not digging into what this text really means. And for, for me, the question is, after we get by these first few words, what does this text mean? How do we put it into some sort of order? How do we categorize it? How do we use it so, to draw some conclusions about what God is trying to tell us and how we should respond? So, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Seven other times we are taught who is blessed. Finally, we're told that we are blessed. The last blessing is, blessed are you. We are blessed when we undergo hardship for having proclaimed Christ as our Lord and Savior. Seems obvious enough, but again, I try to seek some sort of organizing principles, my categories. How do they interrelate? How can I get a deeper understanding of what exactly God is telling us? And I've been grappling with this over the last week. And interestingly, I've found that it's easier for me to get to the meaning by starting with trying to discern what the meaning isn't. What are the Beatitudes not saying? Even though in the flood of associations that comes when I hear those first words, I might think, yeah, I already know this. You know, at first readings, you read, okay, the poor will own heaven. The mourning will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. The hungry and thirsty will be filled. Right, got that. Sure, makes all the sense in the world. Heaven's waiting, especially for those who are living in hell on earth, as it were. And that's fine, and that's fully in keeping with what we understand of our loving and merciful God, what we understand of a Holy Spirit that is our comfort and our guide. But on closer reading, I don't think that that's what the text is saying at all. I don't mind it, but that's not just this text. To be honest, it's made a little bit more complicated by the fact that there are actually two versions of the Beatitudes. So today we listen to Matthews, but the Gospel according to Luke has a slightly different version of the Beatitudes. In Luke, the sixth chapter, he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are those are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And it sounds a lot like Matthew's version, or maybe kind of the best hits of Matthew's version. The, the, the four blessings from Luke correspond pretty closely to four of the blessings in Matthew. But Luke's four blessings are followed by four woes. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. 
Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So in Luke's version, you have to be poor or hungry or weeping in order to be blessed by admission to God's kingdom. And on the flip side of the coin, if in fact you're rich or well-fed or enjoy a good laugh, your heaven's already here on earth. God's heaven? Sorry. You know, camel through the eye of the needle and all that stuff. I don't think that's right at all. The greater message throughout the New Testament shades the way I look at Luke's words. The greater message isn't that we have to be poor. The message is we don't have to be rich. Remembering the context, the context when a blessing from God was perceived as having land and cattle and wives and children and money. And if you didn't have land and cattle and wives and children and money, you were not blessed by God. Tough, sorry. So what Jesus is saying, and Luke captures this, is that, no, you can be blessed without cattle. You can be blessed without wives and children and money and power. In fact, you are blessed because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the interesting thing is that if we are blessed, I would suggest that being blessed by worldly things doesn't hurt you. It's really just irrelevant. Who really cares about the blessings on this world when we have these greater blessings in store in heaven? So being blessed on this world doesn't mean, no, you are deprived of heaven. It's irrelevant, or should I say, it is irrelevant as long as you remember it's irrelevant. As long as you do not think that being blessed on this world somehow makes you someone special. In fact, in today's epistle, St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, He asks, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? No one may boast before God, but the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So I think a better reading of Luke's woes would be, woe to you if you think that being rich will bring you heavenly comfort. Woe to you if you think that being well-fed now will keep you well-fed for eternity. Being poor won't keep us from heaven, but remember that being rich won't get us into heaven.
So that leaves a simple question. How do we get to heaven? Here, too, I, I have to quibble a little bit with Luke's version of the Beatitudes. It sends us in a bit of the wrong direction. Luke reads, blessed are you who are poor. But Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Hmm. Luke says, blessed are those who are, are you who hunger now. Whereas Matthew says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These additions, these little words, poor in spirit, hunger and thirst for righteousness, change everything. They change completely the meanings of these phrases. Poor in spirit talks about a pauper but someone who comes to the Lord as a pauper, someone who comes with nothing, who is dependent on the generosity of the person who is being asked, who's being asked for the means to live. King David, rich and wealthy King David, described himself as poor in spirit. Why? because he plotted to kill Uriah so that he could steal his wife, Bathsheba. So David came on his knees, poor in spirit, to ask for God's forgiveness. Poor in spirit has nothing to do with being poor. And similarly, hungry and thirsty for righteousness has nothing to do with having skipped a meal or forgot your water bottle. Those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness understand that God's hope for us, the earth that God created for us, hasn't quite worked out according to plan. And similarly, those who mourn are mourning for that fact, that our earth is so different than the earth God gave us and hoped us to have. That those who are meek are those who understand their place in the order of things. In short, those two little inclusions, poor in spirit, hunger for righteousness, inform our entire understanding about how the first four blessings make a matched set. It's no longer a list of conditions or situations. You're poor, so you're blessed. You're hungry, so you're blessed. Instead, it's a list of attitudes. It's a list of insights that are relevant to our relationship with God. So we can summarize, blessed are those who seek the Lord in all humility, knowing that the Lord is the source of all blessings. And if the first four Beatitudes speak to how we should be thinking about, how we should be approaching God, the next set of four Beatitudes speak to how we should be thinking about, how we should be acting towards our fellow human beings. Blessed are the merciful, 
for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I see a parallel here with the way that Jesus remade the golden rule. In the old phrasing, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But in Jesus' new phrasing, version 2, he says, I give you a new command. Love one another as I have loved you. When you interact with your fellow humans, try to emulate me, says Jesus. And with the Beatitudes, the first four Beatitudes, instruct us how to approach God. The second four instruct us how to interact with others, how to give them an understanding of God's way, of God's love for us, of God's totality. Let us be such that others can emulate us. And this is indeed what the prophet Micah said in today's Old Testament lesson. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God and high? We don't have to be rich. We don't have to be cool. We don't have to sacrifice thousands of rams or pour out 10,000 rivers of oil. Micah says, he has told you what the Lord requires of you. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But we're not quite there yet. We know that those who approach God in supplication with humility are blessed. And those who help others see God are blessed. But what if we're not that good at coming to the Lord with a poor and contrite heart? What if we're not that good at thirsting for righteousness, especially when it extracts a cost? What if we're not that good of acting mercifully and with a pure heart? Because the reality is, we aren't that good. We confess this morning. We're short in that department. We see the way. We understand the way. We know how we should deal with God. We know how we should deal with others. And we don't. For whatever reason. So are we stuck? No. Here is where I think we look past the words of the Beatitudes to the person who spoke the words, Jesus Christ, our Lord. As St. Paul puts it so succinctly, so succinctly in today's epistle, Christ Jesus is wisdom from God, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption.
And so I would give this final reading of the Beatitudes, informed by what we are reading when we read closely, informed by putting them in the context of the person out of whose mouth the words came. Blessed are the poor in spirit who know that all is dependent not only on God's creative generosity, but also on Jesus's redemptive grace. Blessed are those who mourn that we, God's creatures, became we who killed God's son. Blessed are those who know that we are to love others as Jesus has loved us. And blessed are those of us who try. But most of all, blessed are we who are justified, made righteous in God's sight by taking up the name of Jesus Christ. Blessed are we who proclaim him to be our savior. Amen. The grace of Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.